Imagine for a moment that it's the middle of the night and your house has caught on fire. The smoke is getting thick. The heat unbearable. And you have time to get one thing out of your house. What will it be? I imagine that I would probably die in that fire because I'd wake up, I'd wake Marita up, send her out of, that, out of the window, and then I'd have three things that I'd have to get out of the house that have been in our family, respectively, for nine, seven, and four years. But we ask questions like that to challenge us, to cause us to take a look at what we truly value, what's really important, what really matters. Excuse me. It's questions like that that cause us to question how much is my entertainment center, my computer, worth when I lay it alongside saving the lives of my children? And yet, how much time do I spend with my computer and my entertainment center versus with my children? We need questions like this to challenge us to force us to take a look at our lives and what we do value and what we think is important. Jesus. Jesus was a master at challenging us about what's important. Jesus was a master at causing us to reevaluate our lives. And there is one passage where I think Jesus essentially threw the gauntlet down. It's in Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. You know the story of Mary and Martha. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 38, the Bible reads, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord! Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus said, There is only one thing that is necessary. And Mary had chosen it. Martha had not. You see, here's the real issue for us. The world is on fire. Or at least according to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, it will be. And between now and then, we have time to take one portion with us. The question is, will we carry the right portion with us? I'd like for us to consider that this morning. Before we do, would you bow with me in prayer? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift you up on high because you are worthy of praise and honor and adoration. We are amazed that you have condescended to allow us to be a part of your plan. We're amazed that you have loved us as you have, sending your Son to die for us. 
We're amazed that You allow us to gather together and worship You. We're amazed that You allow us to come into Your presence to honor and praise Your name and to petition You before Your throne. Father, we pray that You would strengthen us to seek after that one thing that is necessary. Help us to focus our lives upon it. And if it costs us any other sacrifice, that we'll be willing to pay that. Father, we want that one necessary thing so that we can be with You forever in eternity. Help us not to be distracted. Help us not to get caught up in the momentary and the temporal. Help us to focus on the eternal. Father, we love You. And we thank You so much for loving us. Through Your Son we pray. Amen. So we have to ask the question, what is the one thing? Jesus said to Martha that Mary chose the good portion. One thing is necessary. Some translations even say, only one thing is necessary. What is it? Is it merely sitting at the feet and listening to Jesus? Is that what he was saying? That that the one thing that is necessary is just sitting at my feet and listening. Well, that would be tough for us because Jesus isn't here physically anymore. We won't be able to do that. I don't think the issue is that sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to Him is the one necessary thing, but rather because Mary was pursuing the one necessary thing, she decided to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. So what is it? There are all kinds of passages that we could look at this morning to talk about that and to make our case for what the one thing is. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34, we know that it says that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to us. And then it says, and don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow has enough to worry about on its own. It says, don't be anxious. So we could, we could turn to that passage. John 4 and verse 34, we could talk about Jesus' statement that my food is to do the will of the Father. There are all kinds of passages we could look at, but I think there is one that nails it down very specifically. And you can find it in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul wrote, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There in verse 8, he said, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul said, Everything else I have thrown away, but this one thing I've kept, this one thing i focused on, and that is knowing Jesus. Do you think that might be the one necessary thing? you think Paul may have grasped what the one necessary thing we're supposed to pursue is knowing Jesus. Why? Because by knowing Jesus, I can be found in Jesus. By knowing Jesus, I can know the power of His resurrection and therefore attain the resurrection. By knowing Jesus, I can go to heaven. What is the one necessary thing? Knowing Jesus. 
Everything else pales in comparison. Paul said everything else was rubbish to him. And he was willing to lose and sacrifice it all as long as he had this one thing, knowing Jesus. Think about this. If you're Mary and Martha, and the number one thing in your life is knowing Jesus, and here He is in your house, what's the one thing you're going to be doing? Setting the table? Buttering the rolls? Or listening to Him? You see, Mary was focused on the one necessary thing. I've got to know Jesus. So I can attain the resurrection. So I can be found in it. So why would I be doing anything but listening to Him right now? And so that's what she was doing. We're going to have a problem. Something can get in the way. Somebody recently pointed out a word that was used in verse 40 in Luke chapter 10. I guess perhaps I'd overlooked it in the story before not really thought about its implication. Uh, but he pointed out to me that it, it says that Martha was distracted. What was Martha's problem? Martha's problem was not the fact that she was focused on the wrong things. Martha wanted to be a part of the resurrection. Martha loved Jesus. Her problem was she was distracted by other issues. She wasn't focused on the wrong things. She was just distracted from the right thing. Let me see if I can give you an illustration that will help you understand what I'm talking about here. There is one thing that is most detrimental to my marriage. And that is televisions and restaurants. Here's what happens. I'll take Marita out on a date, and we go to a restaurant, and there's a television. And it's not that I set out to ignore Marita. It's not that I don't love her, and it's not that I don't care about her. It's just the fact that I'm distracted by the TV. And then all of a sudden, from somewhere off out here, I hear the fatal words. You haven't heard a word I just said, have you? What was the problem? It's not that I don't love Marita. It's not that I don't care about her. It's the fact that in that moment, there was something I was supposed to be focusing on, and I wasn't focusing on it. I was distracted. And that's what exactly happened with Martha here. Martha wanted to go to heaven. Martha wanted to know Jesus. But every time Martha sat down to start listening, she thought to herself, Oh, Peter's drink is empty. Went up and got his drink. Oh, man, I forgot to butter the rolls. Oh, no, I forgot to put the good towels out. I can almost hear Martha thinking, You know, if Mary would just get up off her lazy backside, I could get all this done and I could listen too. Or perhaps she was thinking, you know, I, I really want to listen to Jesus too, but, but I just can't sit still. i got all this stuff that I have to do. Besides that, if I were sitting there, I'd probably be thinking about all the work that has to go on in the house anyway. She was distracted. What kind of things distract us from the one necessary thing? Work. Money. Retirement, a messy house, graduating, assignments from bosses, assignments from teachers, secular education, power, prestige, popularity, 
Good health. Exercise. Do these things distract us from the one thing of knowing Jesus? Are we focused on the one thing? Or distracted by our anxieties and concerns and troubles by many things? Now I want you to notice something. Do you notice what Jesus said? Jesus didn't say only one thing is allowed. Jesus said only one thing is necessary. You see, you take a look at Martha. Was it wrong for Martha to be a good hostess? Of course not. In fact, there would be a place for that, a time when she ought to be doing that. And all those things that I just mentioned, there's nothing wrong with any one of those things in and of themselves. There's a time for all of them. And so we're not wrong to to take time to go to work. We're not wrong to take time to accomplish assignments by teachers and bosses. We're not wrong to take time for recreation and entertainment, like watching football or watching television. The problem is, is when those things become a distraction... When we're so concerned about those things that they're distracting us from the one thing that's necessary. Because only one thing is necessary. And that's knowing Jesus. Wait, I'm going to give you a confession. I'm distracted today. Would you like to know why? Jimmy knows why. Jonathan back there knows why. At 7 o'clock tonight, the season premiere of 24 comes on. Two hours long, and two more hours tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. But I have a problem. We assemble at 6. And typically don't get out from our assembly until 7, 10. You know, maybe I could leave as soon as the invitation song is over. Or maybe I could just maybe I could just cut the sermon short tonight. You know, the problem with that is is that you people want to stick around and visit and get to know one another. Maybe I could convince the elders to put our assembly tonight at four o'clock or maybe five o'clock. Or maybe, just maybe, I could just develop a colossal headache this afternoon. Kurt doesn't watch 24. He could preach. You know, it's really not a big deal because I can just DVR and then when I get home I'll get to watch it anyway. But what if I couldn't? What if the fact that we were assembling tonight just meant that I was going to miss the first episode of my favorite TV show? Or would we ever catch it until until we run later? Until it came out on DVD next year? What, What if it meant that? See, the reality is, if I make the choice to dispense with assembling with the saints to watch a television show, watching that show is not necessarily wrong. But wouldn't you agree it distracted me from the one necessary thing? One necessary thing. Don't get distracted. And here's why. Jesus said about Mary, she chose the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. But everything else is going to be taken away from us. Everything else will be taken away from us. Nothing else matters. A lot of it seems to matter in this life, but in eternity, nothing else matters. 
I want you to think about Mary and Martha's choice. Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to Him. And think about those lessons that she learned. And she got to know Jesus. She could carry that with her. Martha was choosing to clean the house. Now, ladies, you tell me. What was she going to have to do with that house a week later? In fact, probably as soon as Jesus and the apostles left, you had 13 men in your house, what are you going to have to do the next day? Clean it again. All that stuff that she did, it was just going to have to be done again. But what Mary did was going to go with her. It's not like in 1 Timothy 4, 8, there's a principle taught there. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul wrote, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Here's something that's important. Exercise is important. But what Paul points out is is that of far more importance is godliness. Why? Because it has value not just for this moment. Godliness has value not just for the next couple of days. Godliness has value for eternity. Don't substitute the temporal and the mortal for the eternal. There's just no comparison there. And if you think about this, the one portion that will not be taken away. How many of you have seen Martha and Mary's house? What's it look like today? Anybody even know where Martha and Mary's house even was? As far as we, it's, it's not even there. Now you tell me. Today, nearly 2,000 years later, regarding that choice and that one day in Mary and Martha's home, which one of those choices is still impacting them today? Martha cleaned her house. It's not even there now. But Mary listened to Jesus. You think that's still impacting her? Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon dealt with this issue of the one most important necessary thing. In verse 4, he said, I made great works. This is Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 4. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Excuse me, I made myself gardens and parks. And planted in them all kinds of fruit trees, made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, and the delight of the children of man. Solomon says, I did all kinds of things. I had work. I did glorious things. It was wonderful. But what did he learn from it? If you flip over to verse 18, he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he'll be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. He says, I've got to leave it behind. And somebody else is going to do something with it, and I don't know. And brethren, we know what his son did with what he left behind, don't we? He split it in half and lost ten tribes. The reality is, after we go on, what's going to happen to all this stuff? In 2,000 years, is your house going to be standing? In 2,000 years, is your company still going to be out there? In 2,000 years, do you think this country is even going to still be around? 
Everything else was going to be taken away. But let's just say for a moment that Mary and Martha's house was still standing. Let's just say that through some fluke of nature that somebody preserved it and it's out there and we think, oh, it's wonderful and think about how well Martha took care of it. One of these days, judgment's going to happen. And according to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. The earth and everything in it is going to be burned up. Mary and Martha's house, even if it was still existing, when Jesus comes again, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be burned up along with the rest of the world, rest of the earth. Guess what else is going to be burned up? Your diploma, your trophies, your car, your house, your clothes, your gadgets, your gizmos, your company's business, this church building, everything. It's going to be burned up. But we'll be able to carry knowing Jesus with us. Here's a simple test. Think about that day when you stand before God in judgment. What do you think is going to matter on that day? On that day, what is God going to care about? Let me ask you this. On that day when Alexander the Great is standing before God, do you think God is going to care that Alexander conquered half of the known world? On that day, when Benjamin Franklin stands before God in judgment, do you think God is going to care about all of his ambassadorial accomplishments? Do you think God is going to care that he he discovered lightning and he invented the, the stove and that he started the post office? On that day, when Thomas Edison is standing before God in judgment, do you think God is going to care that he invented the light bulb? On that day, when Thomas Jefferson is standing before God in judgment, do you think God is going to care that he wrote the Declaration of Independence and and was one of our presidents? Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that there was anything wrong with all those things. And I'm glad they did those things. And it's great that those things were accomplished. But to my knowledge, none of those men ever sought to know Jesus. And we look to them and we idolize them and we emulate them. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing. There are things there to idolize and emulate, but the one necessary thing isn't there. When we stand before God in judgment, what are we going to point to? Look at my car. Lord, surely somebody with a car like this ought to get into heaven. Lord, don't you know how much money I made every year? I worked for the number one company in America. Surely, somebody who did that ought to get into heaven. Lord, didn't you see my house? I was valedictorian of my college graduating class. Lord, surely, that ought to count for something. What's going to matter? Only one thing is necessary, brethren. Everything else. Everything else will be taken away. I'm not saying we're not allowed to be involved in other things. We are and we will be. But if those things become a distraction from the one thing, it's going to cost us more than we want to pay. Is it worth it? So let's just think for just a few more moments. How do I focus on the one thing? 
What do I need to do? I just want to give you four pieces of advice to help you out. Number one, develop habits that introduce you to Jesus. Do things daily that are going to help you know Jesus. Read, study, meditate on, memorize the Scripture. Remember, we read this on Wednesday night during our invitation. In Psalm 1 and verse 2, it pointed out that the one who delights in the law of the Lord, the one who meditates on it day and night, will be like a tree planted by the waters, always nourished and always bearing fruit. Spend time in the Word of God. Why? Is it because we're Christians and, well, we've got to check off our Bible reading? No. It's because there's only one thing that's necessary, and that's knowing Jesus. And where are we going to meet Jesus? Right here. Prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing. Do we pray because that's our checkoff list? Well, I'm a Christian now. That's my homework for today. I've got to make sure to get in a good bit of prayer. No. We need to pray because there's only one thing that's necessary, and that won't be taken away from us. Somebody said that the difference between modern man and classical man is that modern man has substituted the morning paper for morning prayers. Somebody else added to that that actually today we've substituted the morning show. What about assembling with the saints? Hebrews 10.25 says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. I just want you to think about this. If Mary were here today, if Mary were a member of our assembly, and she knew that we were going to be meeting back here again tonight at 6 o'clock, where do you think she would be? Watching 24? Catching up on the Titans? Staying at home because, man, it's just a mess and I haven't been able to get, get to it all week long? Or would she be assembling with the saints? And why would she be doing that? Would it be because she had been convinced, well, I'm a Christian, I've got to go to church. They finally convinced, you know, I can argue with you all day long about whether or not you have to be here. And if you only come because you say, well, I just have to be here, it's not doing you any good. Why was Mary sitting to Jesus' feet? It wasn't because she had to. It's because she knew there is one necessary thing, and that's knowing Jesus. And if the saints are meeting tonight to worship God and be edified by His Word, where else would I be but where I can get to know Jesus? What about spending time with saints outside of the assembly? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, we know that those Christians were meeting in the temple daily with one another and then from house to house breaking, breaking bread, praising God and having favor with all the people. They were spending time with one another. Why? Because it was through their relationship with one another, all serving Jesus, that they could get to know Jesus. How easy it is for us to just get tied up in our individual lives and not have time for one another. And we'll shake hands on our way in and out of here. But we're not getting to know Jesus that way. So develop habits. Develop habits that introduce you to Jesus. But then you need to prioritize that. Prioritize knowing Jesus and these habits that introduce you to Jesus. Put those first. 1 Timothy 4, 8. We read that a few moments ago. It talked about exercise versus godliness. Well, listen, I'm not trying to justify my own lack of health and my expanding waistline, but the thing that we need to understand is that there are a whole lot of people that exercise every day. And they'll spend an hour on the treadmill or at the gym. But when you ask them about Bible study, I didn't have time for that. We need to prioritize. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter how much you exercise, you're going to get old. Your body's going to lose strength. And then one day it's going to die. And when you stand before God in judgment, He's not going to ask you what you can bench press. 
Prioritize it. Get these things done first. You want to watch television? I had a friend of mine that put a sign on his TV on the knob that asked, have you read your Bible today? And it was just a reminder. Before I turn this knob to on, I better make sure I've taken some time to get to know Jesus today. Prioritize it. Don't let the urgent and immediate take the place of the truly important. Don't let the temporal and the mortal take the place of the eternal. There's going to come a day that we're not going to care how Jack Bauer solved the world's problems. So let's not lose sight of that. Because what's going to matter most on that day is how Jesus took care of the world's problems. And whether or not we focused on that. The third thing, don't let the world get you down. Don't let the world get you down. I mean, I want you to think about this. When we just start taking half measures, like going to church once a week and saying that we're going to avoid sexual immorality and going to the bars, the world thinks we're weird right then. But what if we started spending hours every week, maybe every day, studying the Word, praying, and they, they started asking us about the sports or the TV shows. Man, I just haven't had time to do that. I've been reading my Bible. They're going to think we're all nuts. And they'll mock and they'll ridicule. And they'll say that we're behind the times. And they'll say that, you know, we're odd and weird and they might even use, you know, they might even say we're a cult. Those are crazy people over there at the Franklin Church. They just read their Bibles all the time. Don't let that get you down. Don't let that discourage you. Because if we're choosing that one necessary thing, that won't be taken away from us. Again, Jesus didn't say it's the only thing allowed. I'm not saying you won't ever be involved in anything else. It's not saying that you've got to be reading your Bible 24 hours a day or praying or being at the assemblage. But it's just making sure that none of those other things are becoming a distraction. And we say to ourselves at times, I want to do those things, but Edwin, I just, man, I just don't have time for all that. See, now you've gotten to the heart of what this passage is all about. We have enough time to do anything we want. But we don't have enough time to do everything we want. And if these things about knowing Jesus, if you don't have time for those, then you need to get rid of something else. And don't let the world get you down when you get rid of it. And here's the fourth thing. It's kind of a shocking thing. But don't let distracted brethren get you down. Interestingly enough, there in Luke chapter 10, it wasn't some passerby from the world that rebuked Mary. Who was it? It was Martha. It was somebody else who wanted the resurrection. It was somebody else who wanted to know Jesus. She was the one that rebuked Mary. You want to talk about discouraging. That would be discouraging. Here I am, I'm just trying to sit at the feet of Jesus and my sister. All she can do is, is be on my case. Let me share something with you. I have never 
once been ridiculed or mocked by somebody in the world for assembling twice on Sunday. I've never once had anybody in the world make fun of me for assembling with the saints on Sunday night as well as on Sunday morning. It's never once even happened. Listen, they thought I was weird to begin with, so what was that to them? But I have been ridiculed and mocked by brethren for it. Distracted brethren who legalistically think that all it takes to punch their card and get into heaven is make sure they go once on Sunday morning so they can take the Lord's Supper. I get ridiculed and mocked by them all the time. You want to talk about discouraging? That's discouraging. I have never once... And this, I don't think everybody could say this. But personally, I can say that I have never once been mocked or ridiculed by people in the world regarding my stand on alcohol and the lottery. Never once. Even when I was in college, all my friends who disagreed with me, and they got drunk every Friday night. In fact, they got drunk every night. They respected my convictions. But I have been ridiculed and mocked by distracted brethren who want to fit in with the world a little bit more. Oh, you're too Victorian, you're too prudish, you're too old-fashioned. We've been enlightened and we realize that it's okay to drink the mocker a little bit. And it's okay to play in covetousness wanting everybody else's money through the lottery. It's okay. That's discouraging. I've, I've had that. You know, I have never once been ridiculed or mocked by people in the world regarding my stance on modest dress and deportment. Never once. But I have been mocked and ridiculed by distracted brethren who are more concerned about dressing in modern fashions than modest fashions. I have never once been ridiculed and mocked by people in the world because of the TV shows that I, and movies that I refuse to watch. Never once. But I have been ridiculed and mocked by distracted brethren who wanted to justify their actions. Do you see the picture I'm getting here? And you want to know something? I would much rather be ridiculed and mocked by folks in the world. That doesn't hurt. That doesn't get me to... I expect that. I've heard sermons about that ever since I became a Christian. But you want to know what hurts and what is discouraging is when distracted brethren start ridiculing and mocking. And all I can say to you is just don't let that get you down. If you're choosing the good and necessary portion, that will not be taken away from you. Develop habits that introduce you to Jesus. Prioritize those things. Don't let the world get you down. And I know it's hard, but don't let distracted brethren get you down either. Brethren, there's only one thing that's necessary. I'm not saying it's the only thing that's allowed. I'm not saying you'll never get to watch the Super Bowl. I'm not saying you, that you, you don't get to exercise. I'm not saying, but out of all that stuff that we can do, there's only one thing that's eternally necessary. And there's going to come a day when that one thing is the only thing that matters to us. Why don't we work to go ahead and make that day to day? So that on the day of judgment, we'll hear, enter in, good and faithful servant. Enter the rest that your Lord has prepared for you.